Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business show. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business. Is your business to know about the law and how it's affecting every aspect of your life? Is your business to know about what's happening that's really important in the media front, particularly as it relates to the law? And so that's why I'm really excited about uh, John O'Connor joining our uh, media team here. Uh, he'll be doing uh, reoccurring commentaries on business, the law, the political front, and the media. And we're delighted to have him join us. Uh, he's distinguished in uh, the legal profession. Uh, he is an experienced trial lawyer practicing law in San Francisco since the early 70s. And he has tried cases in state and federal courts throughout the country. He served as an assistant U.S. attorney in Northern California, representing the United States in both criminal and civil cases. But he may be best known for his work as the attorney of Mark Felt, whom most of you know as Deep Throat in the uh, Watergate uh, situation. And uh, he became very familiar with the role of the Washington Post in Watergate in his representation of Mark Felt. And so uh, he brings a lot of experience. He also wrote briefs regarding uh, Patty Hearst, the United States versus Patty Hearst, and really had himself involved in some of the biggest lawsuits of the uh, 20th century, representing the uh, federal government uh, in the vast majority of those cases. So we're delighted to have him. He's going to be bringing his interesting insights uh, every other week here on the Price of Business show. You can learn more about him and his work at postgatebook.com. That's postgatebook.com. And that's the name of uh, the, the book that uh, he talks about most often. It relates to media, Postgate. And again, that's postgatebook.com. All right, with that, John O'Connor. Thanks, Kevin. The price of business has asked me to discuss are Trump's indictments good for democracy? Before we delve into Trump's four indictments, some needed background. After Donald Trump appeared to have lost the 2020 presidential election, his supporters throughout the country filed numerous unsuccessful lawsuits in attempts to change the reported results in selected close-margin states. However, in all of these cases, even in some with seemingly clear proof of an incorrect or illegal voting process, the courts declined to allow them to proceed to trial on the merits. Why not? Because even if there were election irregularities— it would have been impossible to determine whether enough votes should have been discounted for one candidate in excess of those which should have been discounted for the other. Our judicial system is simply not geared to litigate the results of a 5 million vote state. Even if the court limited the examined ballots to, say, 100,000, how many years would it take to re-examine these votes? If, for example, a vote harvester obtained a ballot from an incompetent resident of a nursing home, that vote alone might take days of testimony to determine if there was true consent for that vote harvested. So yes, these suits were non-justiciable, that is, inappropriate for our court system. But by the same token, it would be wrong to say that these defeats are determinations that the various state elections were fair, or that votes were appropriately examined and accepted or rejected correctly. The cases, in short, mean nothing regarding the fairness of the state election at issue. Yes, Al Gore brought litigation in Florida in 2000 contesting the result in that state, but one area in which judicial intervention is appropriate and authorized by statute and precedent is in an election so close that a recount is required. 
even in those situations, the courts are not doing the recounting, but rather the matter is simply returned to the regular state voting system for recount. Therefore, not only were the various Trump-supporting lawsuits unlikely to succeed, but also were Trump's effort on January 6, 2021 to implore Mike Pence and the Senate to delay certification of the election under the Electoral Count Act. But like Al Gore in 2000, Trump had every right to contest the results. That said, the various lawsuits did point out serious issues of election safeguards. Therefore, the country should have then focused on improvements in our system, including uh, safeguards like signature verification and tight mail-in ballot requirements, the latter the focus of blue-ribbon bipartisan criticism in years past. So did the winning Biden administration, after being certified as victors, graciously advocate for such a reforming and healing process? Unfortunately, no. Rather, today, the losing candidate Trump faces indictments in four jurisdictions, two federal. Two of the cases are somewhat traditional criminal cases, even though there may be arguments as to whether they should be brought and whether or not the counts are strong. These two are the federal Mar-a-Lago classified documents case in South Florida and the New York case centering on the Stormy Daniels hush money payments. Let's put these two cases aside for our present purposes because the two other cases are so central to our analysis here. These two cases are the special counsel Jack Smith's January 6th based indictment venued in Washington, D.C. and the impending Atlanta, Georgia charges in Fulton County Court. Each of these two cases seek, ironically, to relitigate in its own way the 2020 election, although each seeks to do so by affirming the results, in contrast to Trump's efforts to negate the results. Why would these allegations be necessary or helpful? After all, Biden won, was certified as a winner, and now occupies the White House. Why beat this dead horse? These indictments assume, of course, that Biden won, but not content with these victories in contested state courts and therefore countrywide, the charges seek to criminalize the protests of a losing candidate and his supporters. Ironically, these charges are so broad and unwieldy, they are just as absurdly straining on our judicial system as the civil cases brought post-election by the Trump forces. So in response to allegations for each state, can Trump now put on the same proof which he was denied in his various post-election lawsuits? The very same issues arise in the pending Atlanta indictment, encompassing at least six states where Trump allegedly falsely claimed victory. So the same question, must Trump relitigate those six elections in his defense after he was prohibited from doing so when he sued? Or conversely, will he be prohibited from doing so? The Georgia case specifically alleges false claims that so many votes were of dead people, so many of felons, so many of other unregistered or out-of-state voters, etc. Along with a full trial on the merits of these claims, covering each of the six states in, in the Georgia case, seven in the federal suit to take. Clearly, the trials would take years, not months, if the defendants were allowed their rights as criminal defendants. And in Georgia, there are 19 defendants in addition to Trump, as well as 30 unindicted co-conspirators. But the ridiculous unwieldiness and burdens of these cases are problems which pale in comparison to the broader democratic issues. In effect, these indictments punish the losing party's free speech and petitioning of the government for redress of grievances, raising huge First Amendment constitutional issues. They have the effect of chilling the free speech rights of millions of citizens who have legitimate concerns about election safeguards. So while Trump is being chastised in these lawsuits for, quote, subverting, unquote, our democracy, 
and endangering, quote, free and fair, unquote, elections, don't these indictments do far more than anything the Trump forces did to subvert democratic processes? One can have, as I do, great criticism of Trump's post-election stratagems and intemperate statements, but they were all political, and it's not uncommon for political rhetoric to be extreme and to be incorrect. Legal rules require that pleaded allegations, unlike normal speech, be investigated and curated by prosecutors before making. We Americans strongly abhor unfairness. We dislike, indeed despise, arbitrary punishment without due process, like the George Floyd death. Hate Trump or love him, he has spent $40 million on legal fees, and that is just for openers, a punishment that would drive most into bankruptcy before a witness is ever impaneled. So that whether some of these charges stick or not, much damage has already been done to our democracy. We should all care about having free and fair and clean elections. But today, anyone who publicly disagrees that the 2020 elections were secure and well-run may be chastised as telling the, quote, big lie. Free speech and debate is thereby chilled. We should all take a deep breath, step back, reflect on the recent indictments, and question whether they remedy undemocratic actions or whether they are supposed cures far more harmful than the illnesses they supposedly treat. In short, these indictments appear to be extremely harmful to our democracy, chilling free speech, and like totalitarian countries, criminalizing dissent.